Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Very happy to be back with you folks for another week of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Of course, with Neil and Roger and John and myself, Bob Duco. Guys, how are you this week? Good. Doing well, Bob. How are you? Wow, very good, thank you. Looking forward to uh, another week. And, you know, it, it occurs to me there, there's so many things obviously going on right now, right? There, we've got the Derek Chauvin trial that's taking place. We, of course, have the surge at the border uh, that's taking place. But AOC says don't call it a surge. That's militaristic and white supremacist. Okay, fine. I mean, there, there's so many different things going on right now. But uh, I, I think about this as – Christians, with everything happening, nothing is really more significant uh, in, in the course of worldwide human events in all of existence than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because this is also Easter week, Resurrection Week, uh, this Friday, Good Friday, of course, Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to take all of the hot topics of what's happening in the world and the culture and the news and politics and it's all important stuff. But we're going to put it on the back burner and we're going to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of things about the significance of Easter that need to be discussed and explored. The significance of Good Friday and and the passion of Jesus and his sacrifice, his death on the cross, his resurrection, the importance of that. Can we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago? Is that just a blind faith belief or is it logical to believe that that actually really did happen? And what about the questions of the pagan origins of Easter and such and as Christians, how do we look at that? So we're going to dive into all of that this week on this special Easter edition of the National Crawford Roundtable. And so, guys, I thought maybe we could just kind of start with with discussing Good Friday, okay? Because Good Friday, of course, the the day that is most, most presumed to be the day that uh, Jesus was crucified, even though I know that there are there are different Bible scholars. Some will place it as a, a Wednesday crucifixion. Some will place it as a Friday crucifixion. Friday is probably the most common. Uh, some uh, There's the Thursday crowd as well. For me, I don't think it matters that much that we have to figure out uh, the three days. How do we define the three days? Is it a part of all three days? Is it three full 24-hour days? I think some people get caught up into the minutia of trying to get that answered. To me, the significance is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And uh, let's kind of go around the table and talk about that a little bit if we could. First of all, and Roger, you know, Pastor Roger Marsh, let me <laughs> kind of start with you on this. Uh, help us understand exactly what it was that Jesus did on the cross. A little bit of uh, Good Friday 101. Why did he have to die on the cross and shed his blood? Well, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon that I think a lot of people don't take into consideration is the fact that we as sinners who are separated from God had been separated from God. And if there was going to be any reconciliation between God and man, God had to introduce that that whole process. The idea that God is a holy God, but also a just God. He's a merciful God. He's compassionate, but there's a score to be settled. And a lot of people, I mean, in modern culture, it's hard for us to wrap our brains around the fact that our sin has a value, and it's a negative value, and it has to be settled up for. There will be an accounting. So the fact that Jesus had to go to the cross, uh, you know, when you, and you even see the the wrestling that he has in the Garden of Eden, or Garden of Gethsemane, rather, where he mm-hmm. says, you know, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to have to go through this. Fully man, Jesus, doesn't want to be nailed to a cross, whipped 39 times, humiliated, crown of thorns, the whole that deal. But fully God... Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done. And thy will is that there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a payment for the sin. And Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. You know, we look at Good Friday, but we can't miss what happened in the days leading up to that. You know, with with what we would call Palm Sunday, where the Jesus mm-hmm. triumphal entry, where he's literally crowned king of the Jews and makes the triumphal entry in. And then on Monday, when he goes to the temple and says, my house is a house of prayer, you've turned it into a den of thieves. We could do an hour just on that. Yeah. And then the next day where he comes back and they ask him, why did you do that? And he says, well, I 
I have the authority to do this. I'm God. A day of preparation. And then, of course, we get the Passover celebration where we have the Last Supper and the beginning of communion. There's so much going on right now. But when we stand at the foot of the cross, we have to understand that not only does our sin need to be paid for, but the blood of Jesus is also going to wash it clean. And and basically, like it was never there. And uh, the, a pastor friend of mine years ago used to say, justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ means just as if I had never sinned. And so that's the, the significance of Good Friday can't be lost in a culture right now that's debating whether or not you can determine what a person's gender is at birth. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's so much lunacy going on in the world right now. This is where the rubber meets the road, right at the foot of the cross. We're sinners. We're separated from God apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but Jesus pays the penalty. Absolutely. Sorry for the mini sermon there, but that's in essence what Good <laughs> no, Friday hey. means to me. But, but this, this is this is really what we want to. This I think is the right and appropriate thing for us to kick this off and and not assume that everybody listening to us right now totally, fully, completely understands the significance of the cross. And, and uh, Neil, let me go to you, of course, Neil Boron, Pastor Neil Boron as well. And, and uh, Neil, some of your thoughts and observations on the significance of Jesus dying on the cross, why this was necessary. And, you know, Roger mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane and and Jesus' anguish there, okay, sweating drops of blood even, and if this cup can pass for me, but your will not mine be done. Sometimes people think that, wow, Jesus was anguishing over taking on the physical pain of being nailed to a cross and whipped and scourged and such. And while that's certainly severe, Neil, I don't think a lot of us uh, as sinners can really grasp what it's like for a holy, righteous, and perfect God, Jesus Christ, to take on the sin of humanity. Uh, this this is a contrast I don't think a lot of us get. and and. Personally, I think that was had a lot more to do with the anguish that Jesus was experiencing more so than just the physical torture of the cross. Yeah, I think you're right. And not only did he take it on, he became sin for us, the Word of yeah. God says. I think it's important, and I really like the way Roger laid it out, because the fact is that all of us have sinned and are therefore separated from God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your sins have made a separation between you and your God, so that he's hidden his face from you and he does not hear. And I, it's Romans three twenty three that says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the reality is that it isn't just Christians who believe this, like that this applies to us because we're Christians and this is the the narrative that we subscribe to. This is the reality that all of mankind faces, that all of us as created beings had uh, our roots in Adam, ultimately. And Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Mankind at that point became sinful. We have sinned against God. Each one of us are guilty of sin. So all of us are separated from God, and all of us need to be redeemed. And the reality of what Jesus did for us, I think, is based in the fact that that God operates on a blood-based economy. You know, in the Old Testament, the Jews were sacrificing um, bulls and goats and lambs and other things, but blood had to be shed in order for payment to be made. Uh, without Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin, it says in Hebrews 9.22. Um, which leads us to the point of that's really why Jesus had to die. Somebody had to shed their blood, and it was either going to be him or us, uh, but God demonstrated his love for us. Even that while we were broken, sinful, separated from God, Jesus intervened and died in our place so that we could be forgiven of sin. And, you know, um, I think it's Galatians 2.21 says, I, I don't nullify or I don't count as useless the grace of God, because if righteousness were through the law, in other words, if you could earn your salvation, if uh, if God wasn't operating on a blood-based economy but a merit-based economy, then we could earn our salvation through our good works or through our righteous deeds or whatever. That wasn't possible. It was impossible. Uh, there was no other way, and therefore Jesus died. Um, if that wasn't true, then he died for no purpose. And I don't think uh, God would have had his only son die on a cross if there were some other way. So ultimately Jesus announced, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes into the Father but through me. But the idea that we we know our sin, each one of us can look back on our lives and see where we've fallen short, where we've outright rebelled at times against God, a holy God, and we know that we're not deserving. And to me it's the most astounding thing in the world that the God of the universe put skin on and came to earth, and we celebrate that as Christmas, uh, then lived and died in my place, you know, that's Good Friday, 
and then rose from the dead. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the idea that he did that for me and for each one of us is is the greatest love story ever told. And it's a story I never get tired of talking about. It's why I love that we get to do this kind of stuff and work in Christian radio. Absolutely. And, you know, John Rush, I'm going to want to get your take here in just a moment uh, on Good Friday as well before we start getting to uh, the resurrection of Jesus. But before we continue this conversation, everybody, I would just like to take a moment right now and just remind everybody that while we talk about this, while we talk about Resurrection Week and Easter and, and Jesus rising from the dead and such, in the middle of this conversation, you know that there's starving children around the world. They need something to eat, and they need to know this Jesus Christ. They need to know who this Jesus is that died for their sins and rose from the dead. And that's where Compassion International comes in. Compassion International is a Christian ministry. They've been around for almost 70 years, and they're set up all over the world in the poorest villages on planet Earth. They've got over 7,000 child development centers. I've visited many of them over the years. And inside those child development centers, you've got a good two, 300 children that are laughing and playing and have all the hot food they want to eat every day. They're also in Bible study, worship services, being prayed with and taught about Jesus Christ. But you know, somebody is paying $38 a month for each one of those kids to be on the inside. Outside the gates are a bunch of unsponsored children who desperately want to get in. So I'm asking all of you in the audience today, right now, would you prayerfully consider sponsoring a child through Compassion International for $38 a month? Here's all you got to do. Go online to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can go there right now, CrawfordMediaGroup.net. Click on the Compassion link, and you'll see a bunch of pictures of kids that are waiting on sponsors. And you can do it right there online. Would you prayerfully consider doing that right now, Crawford Media Group? Net. We're talking on this National Crawford Roundtable podcast about Jesus Christ, uh, Easter week, the significance of the resurrection. But before we get to that, the significance of what happened on Good Friday and Jesus shedding his blood for us. And, you know, I want to ask you, John, of course, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, one of the things that I John, and I'm curious to get your take on this because we've heard from Roger and Neil about certainly the, the, the spiritual and life-giving implications of what Jesus did. But I think about, John, the love of God, the love that Jesus had for mm-hmm. us to endure the cross. And here's what really stands out to me. We, we say things like he had to die, he had to die. But actually, if you think about it, technically, no, he, didn't. he didn't have to. Okay, He no. could have called down a legion That's of right. angels. He could have stopped. And, and, and I want to tell you a real quick anecdote, and then I want to get your take on this, John. Uh, we've all seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, okay? And Jim Caviezel, his phenomenal job he did portraying Jesus in, in Passion of the Christ. Okay. Uh, there was a... a a, a blooper, if you will, that happened in the movie where when Caviezel was being whipped, scourged as Jesus, and he's holding on to that, that pole and he's on his knees, uh, what they had was they had a board, a wooden board strapped to his back so that the camera angle from the front would not see the board. And the actor playing the Roman, he, he would whip the board. Well, on the very first one, and they had these uh, little things on the end of the whip, he missed the board and the end of the whip went around the side of the board and caught uh, Jim Caviezel on, the, uh, on his side, on his skin. Okay, And it hurt and he yelled out, ah, like that. And he jumped up real quick and they go, cut, cut. And they fixed everything to make sure that that didn't happen again. And it occurs to you know he had the ability to do that. He could stop this right now, of course. I think about Jesus with every single whip, John, that he received at any mm-hmm. moment. He could have said, wait a minute. I am God on mm-hmm. earth. I don't have to go through mm-hmm. this. So it's not just that he made the decision in Gethsemane and then he was locked into it. Every single whip that he received – he allowed himself to receive the next one and the next right. one and the next one. He allowed himself to stay on that cross that whole time when he could have at any point pushed the eject button, uh, and he didn't do it. And to me, that's an incredible sign of his love for us that he endured that all the way through knowing he could have bailed at any time, mm-hmm. but he didn't for us. 
Yeah, and the agony that he went through, even as you said a moment ago in the, in the garden, and, and I don't think folks really understand, you know, why that agony was upon him. And you know, my belief is that it wasn't just the agony of everything you just said, Bob. Knowing, you know, he knew full well what was happening, what was going to happen, the pain, the endurance, all of that. But then also that separation from, uh, you know, his father for you know a three day time frame. I, and I think it to me personally. It was that separation from his own father, from God, that he was really looking forward to the least. I, I think he knew, well, listen, I can handle the pain, I can handle the suffering, I can get through all of that, and, and I can endure that. But what I really you know, am, am sweating blood over, literally he did in the garden, sweating blood over the fact that he was going to be separated from his own father. But you know, to your point, what, you know, what does it mean to me? You asked me that earlier, Bob, you know, Romans 5a, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, still, we always are, Christ mm-hmm. died for us. And I think that's a, a reminder. And again, I'm not a pastor like, you know, Roger or Neil. So, you know, I, maybe I come from this, you know, a little different angle. The fact that, you know, I'm not, you know, you know, in back of a pulpit on a weekly basis and so on. But, you know, again, to me, what is the cross? What is Good Friday? It, it's a completion. Uh, it, it's the ability for us through grace to you know, have a personal relationship with God the Father that, honestly, prior to that, you had to be chosen to have that relationship. It, it wasn't upon all of mankind. I think we in the New Testament age forget that prior to this event happening, not everyone had that same access to, to God the Father. Only certain individuals did. Only those chosen, quote-unquote, individuals had that access. We today, through Christ and his death and, and resurrection, you know, the blood on the cross, which, by the way, everybody listening, has to be blood sacrifice. That was what the Old Testament was pointing to mm-hmm. with Christ coming. So, you know, Christ is the completion of everything that was pointing towards the future in the Old Testament. He is that. He was the future of the Old Testament and completed that for us so we could have a personal in relationship with God the Father. Absolutely. And, and by the way, you know, I, uh, Roger, you had mentioned Passover a little bit earlier, and I don't want to completely, pardon the pun, Passover, Passover here, <laughs> uh, because we are in the middle of Passover week as well. Uh, and help us understand, Roger, the the significance of of Passover. I mean, when we look in the Old Testament, it's like, okay, well, why you, you have to take these? You have to take this lamb's blood and smear it all over your doorposts and everything, so that uh, so that the the death will pass over, if you will, any houses that are covered by this lamb. People need to realize this isn't just some weird, archaic, obscure ritual that they had to do back then this was specifically pointing the way it was the foreshadowing of jesus christ the mm-hmm. perfect lamb of god yeah absolutely and that, that's the beautiful thing about this story for that we get to see through new testament eyes is the fact that we get to see the passover you know the, the commemoration of god delivering his people from the hand of pharaoh the the, the angel of death sweeping through and and not you know, literally passing over the homes that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost but now Jesus coming and saying, okay, look, the reason we call what happened on in Lutheran tradition, we call Maundy Thursday, the Last Supper, it's the last Passover meal. It's, you know, Jesus is anxious to have this meal with his disciples, not in an, uh, a, a fear-ridden way, but rather he really wants to have this because it's the last time they're going to be together, but it's also the last time they're going to celebrate Passover that way. The new covenant is the blood, and the new covenant's in the wine and in the bread, and, and, and they're, they're moving forward. Jesus comes through, and if you'll notice, you know, he's, he says in Scripture, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. He comes through as the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. And it's just, it, it's remarkable for us to see that every time we're taking communion, we're basically having our own Passover meal, and we're, we're commemorating with Jesus, said, okay, that was the old way, that's the old covenant, here's the new covenant. The new covenant's in my blood, and every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we're, we're professing his, his name until he comes again. I would respectfully push back a little bit on the idea that Jesus in, didn't have to go through the cross. Physically, yeah, you didn't want to have to go through it, and of course the weight of the sin coming through. But let's remember, you know, this is the same guy who said, I'm not going to lose any to whom the Father has entrusted to me. Jesus is perfect. So if this is God's perfect will, then Jesus really by definition did have to go to the cross because there was no other way for this to come through. But thanks be to God that he did. And the, the, the weight of the sin of the world, just it's amazing. But as John's point is perfect, John 3.16 is very clear. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, you just stop right there. 
Right. Whoever. Now, it's no longer a chosen people situation. The mm-hmm. blood of the Lamb will wash away the sin of anyone who believes that it will. And so that's I believe it's a supernatural thing that actually happens. But now the door is wide open for anyone who will, and then narrow it down, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's heartbreaking to me to see as many Christians, or professing Christians, as we've seen um, in throughout the years and throughout the ages, say, that's great. There was sin in the world, and Jesus died, and he paid the penalty for all that sin. Now I can live any way I want to. Instead of saying, I, I'm going to live for him. Because we are compelled then to follow him and to live in the, in according to his will and according to his statutes. And so that um, the Passover celebration for us now is that God is going to pass over each of our, you know, our sins and iniquities because when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. What he sees is us forgiven and he looks into our face and sees Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's awesome. It's, it's humbling and it's awesome and awe-striking all Absolutely. at the same time. Absolutely. Uh, I do want to take a moment right now and just one more time remind everybody that we are still trying to find sponsors for these these hungry children. And I hope you folks, uh, in the middle of our conversation about uh, about Jesus, of course, and uh, Good Friday, but also moving into Resurrection Sunday and He Rose from the Dead, because remember, folks, He didn't stay in that tomb, did He? Uh, we're going to get to that in just a moment. But we need to multitask, okay? We need to talk about this while feeding hungry children around the world. And that's why I ask all of you right now, sponsor that child through Compassion International, would you, for $38 a month. If you haven't done it yet, just go right now to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. That's CrawfordMediaGroup.net. And you can click on the Compassion link right there. And you'll see pictures of unsponsored children. It's $38 a month. You can sponsor one, two, as many children as you want to. It's entirely up to you. But you can go to bed every night knowing that child is going to get all the hot food they want to eat every day until their bellies are full. They get clean drinking water, medical care. They're in classrooms being educated, taught to use computers. They get the kind of clothing that they need. But also, they're prayed with. They're given a Bible in their own language. They're taught about Jesus Christ. And that child knows you personally by name writing letters to you, coloring pictures, thanking you for doing this for them. And you write letters back, too. So what do you say? Would you sponsor a child right now, everybody? Again, go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. That's CrawfordMediaGroup.net. And just click on the Compassion link, and you can sponsor a child right there, okay, as you continue listening to us talking about uh, Easter week, of course, Resurrection week. You know, uh, Neil Boron, of course, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, We've been talking about Good Friday and what Jesus endured on the cross for us. Uh, but we got to remember, too, he didn't stay in that tomb, did he? Absolutely not. And praise God for that, because we've got no faith to base our hope and future on if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Um, you know, it's First Corinthians 15, chapter 3. Three verse three through uh, through eight really gets to the heart of this because um, it's in that passage that it talks about the fact that it was Christ who was buried, it was Christ who was raised. Uh, he died and he was buried and raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Uh, and and that's all significant because it all transpired as the scriptures said it would, as Jesus himself said that it would. I mean, this is a God who makes good on every single one of his promises. I think it was John that was talking about Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment of that prophecy in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, but that passage goes on um, in, I think it's uh, verse 13. Yeah, let me, here it is right here. It says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then the empty tomb uh, you know, signifies that we have no basis for our faith. So um, how shocking is that, <laughs> that if this didn't happen? It, it's not just, uh, by the way, something that, that Christians can talk about on Easter. Like the world talks about the Easter bunny, and Christians have this other holiday. You know, it's a bookend to Christmas. Christmas is the baby in a manger. Easter is Jesus died and, and rose again. Um, and that's what we get to celebrate so that we have a special holiday for our churchgoers. That's not it. It's about our personal redemption. Christ died. But, you know, think of this. Um, Confucius died. Uh, Muhammad died. There's a lot of religious leaders over the years or so-called religious leaders that died, uh, but they didn't come back to life. Jesus not only came back to life, he told us he was going to. He made good on that promise, which ultimately gives us victory over death and hell and the grave. And and I was thinking about it this morning because I knew we'd be talking about this. And how, how cool that, you know, 
Uh, we're told in John fourteen six, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundant. But the stealing, the killing, and the destroying that the enemy was all about, that was made possible because we rebelled against God and because we were sinners, gets turned around in the resurrection. That what gets returned to us, like uh, the Crowder song La Luz talks about, is our innocence and our freedom, the justification, just as if I'd never sinned, I think Roger said earlier, but also life, that we get true life. We get to under, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we've been brought to life, and that's life that lasts for all eternity. And then, of course, the healing and the restoration of what God had intended is being restored to us now because of the resurrection. And I think we see it in part right now and one day in its fullness, you know, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, a place where there's no tears, no suffering, no pain. But the point is we get to experience God right now and get a taste, just a glimpse. We get the Holy Spirit living within us. We get a a deposit, so to speak, of, of what's to come. This personal, intimate relationship with God has begun because of the resurrection. Good word. You know, we're uh, in the second half of this podcast. We're going to get into the historicity of the resurrection. Can we really trust that Jesus actually really did physically rise from the dead, or do we just have to have blind faith in believing that? Can the left side of our brain uh, be satisfied as well that he really did rise from the dead? Uh, I would argue, of course, yes, it can. But we'll talk about some of the pagan origins of Easter, too, and why some people have concerns about celebrating uh, Easter regarding that. So a lot more coming up in the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And to listen to the second half, you need to do it online. Okay, you can go to crawfordmediagroup.net. That's crawfordmediagroup.net. Or, of course, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and more, and listen to us there. Uh, I mean, when you're at crawfordmediagroup.net, again, we'd love it if you'd sponsor one of those children through compassion. So crawfordmediagroup.net. And Roger and John and Neil and myself will be back uh, to continue this second half next. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron, Neil Boron live out of Buffalo, New York, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado, Roger Marsh of the bottom line from the People's Republic of California, myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco show out of Detroit. It is Easter week and we're talking about all things Easter. And so uh, let's talk about the, the resurrection and whether we can really truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and John, I want to Start with you on this. This is a, uh, I mean, obviously we believe this by faith. We read this in scripture. Uh, but you're going to get some skeptics out there that say, well, yeah, but come on. You know, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. You weren't there 2,000 years ago. This sounds like a pretty extraordinary thing to say. People don't just rise from the dead. Uh, but I would argue if you look at the actual evidence, if you look at the historical evidence, the documentation from evidence, if you look at secular Roman history and the way it unfolded, uh, the simple fact is there is no alternative explanation for history unfolding the way that it did, especially in those first few decades, 2,000 years ago, unless Jesus rose from the dead. If he did not, there's no way that secular Roman history unfolds the way that it did in so many different areas. So it, it seems to me, John, that we need to recognize that the evidence really truly is overwhelming that Jesus had to have physically risen from the dead, even risen from the dead, even though we weren't there to see it. Yeah, and, and your, to your point, Bob, there's a lot of non-biblical, even though the Bible is very specific in what happened on uh, that particular uh, event and that particular Sunday morning. Uh, it's very, you know, evident scripturally speaking. But to your point, outside of scripture, it's we have historical evidence of the same. And I realize everybody listening, there's lots of different theories on, you know, people admitting that yes, uh, the the tomb was open, but you know, it was a stolen body, and just a lot of nonsensical things. Uh, guys, that really, I, I think, again, historically speaking, you can go prove that's not the case from eyewitness accounts of seeing him after being on the cross, after dying, you know, seeing an empty tomb, physically seeing him. And again, to your point, Bob, the historical evidence outside of Scripture is there. And in fact, you know, we've we've based an entire calendar system, uh, you know, based upon the things that we're now talking about when it comes to. You know, uh, Jesus's uh, birth, death, and resurrection. So I think 
if you're someone that doesn't believe Christ existed at all, you're very mistaken because there's very much historical evidence that shows that not only did he exist, but everything Scripture talks about. In fact, the more digging they do, guys, the more they find out that Scripture is very accurate in what happened to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And, you know, Roger, to, to bring you in on this, it occurs to me, I, uh, you know, one of my one of my favorite movie series out there is Back to the Future. I love the Back to the Future series. Back to the uh-huh. Future 2, of course, has the alternate timeline where Biff is in power and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I know it's kind of a funny, frivolous way to create an analogy here, but the truth is if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then history would have been different. I mean the, the simple fact is – Number one, the Roman guards wouldn't have fled the tomb. Who would have scared them? The disciples would know that they were proven wrong and that Jesus was a fraud. The disciples would have just moved on. They would not have been tortured and killed for something that they know is a lie. People die for lies all the time, but that's because they think it's the truth. Once you know something is a lie, nobody dies for it. Uh, Yet the disciples would know that Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be if day four comes and he's still in that tomb. Saul of Tarsus would never have converted to the Apostle Paul if he didn't encounter Jesus on the road to Damascus, not to mention the fact if he didn't encounter so many people that also confirmed, Mm -hmm. yep, Jesus rose from the dead. We saw him ourselves. Jesus' brother James, uh, Roger, Jesus' brother James, an unbelieving skeptic would never have converted to suddenly now worship his own brother, okay, and call him Lord. And I would argue Christianity and the belief Jesus rose from the dead could not have exploded with thousands and even tens of thousands of people converting if the disciples just tried to convince people that he rose from the dead when no one actually saw Jesus alive to corroborate it. It's just illogical that events in secular recorded non-biblical history would unfold the way that they did. He had to have risen from the dead. So much of what we believe and what we know of Jesus comes from the the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the fact that the Holy Spirit was present because Jesus said, I'm leaving and I'm sending a comforter, I'm sending a counselor for you, that, even just that, if we had nothing more than that, is proof that this is all, it's all relevant and it's all true. I love the fact that Scripture defines Scripture, the fact that we can know that there are certain books of what we now call the Bible that were, uh, you know, all of them are divinely inspired, and there were other books that were written around that time, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Nicodemus, that people can look at and say, that might be a, a historical you know, reference point, but it's not actually the Word of God. And we have that discernment. I mean, the fact that there is any level of discernment right now, can you imagine the world we'd be in without the medical advances, without the political gains, without... I mean, mm-hmm. there, have, there have been people who've done horrible things in the name of the Lord, but there have been people who've done wonderful things in response to what God has spoken to them and is working through them. And, I, and unfortunately, there are so many people in the world who wouldn't be able to even know that. I mean, right now, the conversations that we have every week on National Crawford Roundtable podcast about just kind of looking around the world around us and saying, wow, can you believe this is happening? We wouldn't have the discernment to know that. We wouldn't know any different, you know? So, I mean, the the fact that we have week after week, it seems there's more, uh, you know, archaeological, geological evidence, you know, new, there was new Dead Sea Scrolls came out a couple of weeks ago that they didn't see the first time 60 years ago. It, God just keeps revealing himself to us bit by bit, piece by piece. And those hundred witnesses or so, or several hundred initially, their testimony has spread. When you think about it, God... Uh, gave the Great Commission through Jesus to the 11 disciples plus the, those who were around them. And that message has continued to spread. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see uh, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey's um, Resurrection movie that is just just came out last week, I think, mm-hmm. on Discovery+. Plus. And at the end of the movie, when they kind of scroll into modern day and they talk about the billions of people who've received this gift, I mean... I can't imagine anyone telling a lie that was so convincing that so many people would be duped over the past 2,000 years. It just oh, it doesn't seem logical. Well, I, you mentioned the 500 brethren okay, that, that were seen. I mean, Jesus appeared after he rose from the dead, not only to Mary Magdalene, to the women at the tomb accompanying Mary, to the Roman guards who fled in fear, to the 11 disciples multiple times, eating with them, to the two men on the uh, road to Emmaus, to James' his brother, Saul of Tarsus, the 500 brethren. But I'm thinking about those 500 brethren. Uh, 2,000 years ago, 
you didn't really reference women and children in a room. I mean, I hate to say it, but I know this isn't politically correct, but if you had 100 people in a room, 33 men, 33 women, 34 children, someone would describe that as 33 brethren in the room. You factor in women and children, it's very likely Jesus appeared to a good one to 2,000 people, and that's only what Paul references. We don't know how many more uh, he may have appeared to that weren't even referenced in Scripture. So, you know, Neil, it, it appears to me that over the course of the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years after the resurrection, if if Jesus did not rise from the dead, anybody trying to proclaim to any crowd anywhere that he rose from the dead, people are going to look around going, uh, I didn't see him. Did anybody here, anybody here even know anybody who saw Jesus risen? Nobody's going to be able to corroborate that. This movement's going to die in its cradle, but... Uh, if he did rise from the dead, if he was seen from anywhere from 500 to maybe 2,000 people, then you're liable to have either A, a personal eyewitness, or B, people in just about every crowd everywhere is going to be like, uh, my mother saw him. Oh, really? Yeah, my uncle said he saw him. Really? My brother said he saw him. There's always going to be – there's enough corroboration that would explain people – not to mention the, the move of the Holy Spirit and the miracles as well – that's going to be enough of a corroboration for people to go, you know what, maybe he really did rise from the dead. That would explain thousands upon thousands, Neil, mass converting to Jesus Christ over the next few decades. But if no one saw him alive and no one even knows anyone who claimed they saw him alive, there's no way in the world that this catches on. Yeah, uh, that's a point well taken. And going back to you know some of what we were talking about earlier, you know, the fact of the empty tomb, like if somebody had just stolen his body, then you'd have an empty tomb. So that fact alone is actually, it's part of the evidence for the fact that Jesus rose again, but it isn't necessarily the most compelling part. But you take it together with the fact uh, of the appearances of Christ, you know, to individuals and then to groups of people, that becomes more compelling. You add to that the transforming power of those encounters um, it wasn't just, oh, yeah, you know, I saw him, and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, he's alive. It's It was so compelling that the very people who had literally denied him were later dying for him. <laughs> I mean, literally giving their lives. Um, what What's often overlooked, because Peter, you know, obviously gets uh, the ultimate rap here for saying, oh, oh, Jesus, I'd never deny you, never. I'll never do that. In like 24 hours, within 24 hours, he's completely denying he ever even knew Jesus. Um, amazing Again, the grace of God on his life, obviously, because um, later Peter becomes the one who's literally, you know, the founder, father of the church kind of thing. Like that, that God entrusts the keys to the kingdom to him in many ways in the sense that uh, his redemption was full and complete and he uh, loved on Peter despite Peter's open denial of Christ. Uh, just a, a great picture of grace. But in, uh, in Mark 14, verse 50 it says all the disciples cut and ran. <laughs> I love right. that verse for some reason because it's kind of like Barry Sanders, like, oh, you know, cut and ran. They were out, man. They Everybody took off. Mm-hmm. And yet um, many of those who followed Jesus literally gave their lives because of what they had seen, what they had encountered. The reality was so powerful that it was utterly life-transforming. And I think it, in addition to... Um, to the visible sightings of Jesus, it was the visible impact of the sightings of Jesus that also was life-transforming. Just to say that, hey, I, I knew this guy. This guy, I saw Peter openly deny Christ, and today he's sacrificing his own life for him. Something happened that's so powerful it can't be denied. Right. You know, John uh, John Rush, of course, rushed reason out of Denver uh, John, one final point on the on the resurrection evidence, and I know there's we could spend hour podcast after podcast after podcast just giving more and more evidences to prove that he rose from the dead. Uh, but I know we have to go into a, a break here again. But John, as we do, can you just kind of remind us as well that for all the skeptics who say, "Well, I won't accept anything that's in the Bible. I'll only accept non biblical evidence." There's a lot of non biblical evidence. But the Bible is still history. Even though we recognize mm-hmm. it as God's word, 
doesn't change the fact that this is still documented accounts in history written by eyewitnesses and contemporaries of eyewitnesses who were there, who were documenting in real time the events right. that took place. This is historical documentation. You can't just dismiss the Bible as, well, it's a religious book. It doesn't count. And I know we've got to go into a break, but I just want to get your thoughts on that. No, no, great question. And, and we do. Let's take a quick break, guys. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gray. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. All right, we're back. National Crawford Roundtable. Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, of course, who's leading us today. And and to your point, Bob, and I think for me personally, where I, you know, I had a lot of faith. I grew up in the church. Um, you know, it's for me, it's just one of those things where I, I think early on, you just, you know, you learn more about Scripture and its infallibly or infallibility, and you learn that as you get older and so on. But you know, growing up in a Christian home, it, you let's face it, you just accept those things until later in life you start learning that yeah, these things actually are real. I, for me personally, one of those significant times where I realized that Scripture is it really is infallible, and it really is a historical document. To your point, Bob, was when I took a trip to Israel some 25 years ago, and going through all of the tours, and even though you're there with a bunch of you know Jewish guides and folks that don't necessarily believe in Christ the way we do, they believe he's there historically, but do not believe he is the Messiah and the Savior of the world like we do. But even with all of that... There are archaeologists and people in Israel that I guarantee you are still continuing to dig today based upon what is in Scripture. And here's the thing. The more they dig to try to disprove Scripture, the more they prove it. So to your point, Bob, it is very much a infallible historical document. People can badmouth it all they want, but it's still the best-selling book in the world. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, which then brings us now to some of the controversies that surround the celebrating of Easter. There are some Christians who are just not comfortable celebrating Easter. Same thing with Christmas very often. They'll look at many of the, the pagan origins that are connected to this. They see Easter and they realize, well, wait a minute, this comes from Ostra and this comes from uh, a lot of the, the pagan gods and deities and, and the rabbits and the bunny rabbits and the, the fertility gods. And there, It is true that there are a lot of pagan customs that have been throughout the world and that many of the traditional celebrations we have today like Easter and Christmas do involve many of those kind of pagan customs. And I kind of like to go around the table a little bit and get your thoughts on, on that and some Christians who are concerned that they say, well, you know, we're not supposed to uh, do as the pagan does and if we're de- dressing up a Christmas tree or if we're doing an Easter basket – uh, Roger Marsh, aren't we going the way of the pagan? How would you respond? Well, I, I understand the concerns. I mean, there's there's no question about it. You certainly don't want to get yourself in a situation where it gives people the impression that what you're celebrating is, in fact, you know, the pagan side of the holiday. So if, if your if your church is doing a peeps meld or something like that, you know, then I, I well, I I can't help you with that. I mean, I've heard about these things, and my kids love peeps. I mean, that was always part of their Easter basket when they were younger. But when you think about what Jesus did, you know, we talked about Passover and how Jesus kind of hijacked Passover, if you will. The, the word Pesach in the Hebrew uh, for Passover uh, has the same root word as the Greek word for Easter, which is Pasha. And basically what Jesus is doing in this situation, the, the, it's no irony that he is resurrected on what would be a cultural holiday where they're just literally celebrating, you know, the beginning of spring and, you know, the, the, the first fruits of, you know, the, the, the new crops that are coming in. Hey, guess what? I mean, here's the new first fruit. It's all right here. So, I mean, in terms of celebrating Easter, as long as we keep the focus on where it's supposed to be, yeah, you can get wrapped up in bunnies and pagan goddesses and, and things like that if you're not careful. So, by all means, do your homework. But if you want to celebrate an Easter celebration, by all means, I mean, if you want to even call it Easter, I mean, if you look at the 
Greek word. Literally, what pasach, which is the root for both of these words, means is to slip or to limp. And it's a reference to a blemished lamb that might have been presented as a sacrifice, you know, back in Jesus' day. Well, now we have the perfect sacrificial lamb. That's Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with him. There's no blemish there. So should we be celebrating that Easter celebration as Christians, knowing this newness of life is here because we have the perfect sacrifice? Absolutely. So if you want to have candy, have candy. If you want to do Easter baskets, do Easter baskets. But I would say as long as you know the difference between what's the pagan side of it and what's the non-pagan side of it, then by all means celebrate Easter and call it Easter if you want to. Right. Neil, what, uh, what's your take for those that are concerned about some of the pagan origins? Well, I got to be honest and say that this kind of conversation falls back into the category for me anyway of legalism and john rush and i have a very similar history of growing up amen uh, yeah man are you ready? here we go <laughs> don't get me started um well you know i was having a conversation one day on air and i think this goes back to the 1990s even uh and somebody called in and they were just absolutely livid that i used the word easter they said we should call it resurrection day and, uh, you know, I was kind and respectful, but at some point I said, do you read the King James Bible? And he said exclusively. I said, well, look at Acts twelve four, because uh, the word Roger was referring to, which essentially is translated Passover, in the King James Bible there is used as Easter. I think it's the only place it appears in the New Testament, but it's the same root word. It's the same word that's used for Passover like 30 times in the New Testament. He was shocked. He was thrown off his game. You know, he was like, what? And now that doesn't... That doesn't mean that we ought to be going out and, and worshiping pagan deities, but let me just point out that church buildings themselves have pagan roots, um, particularly in Greco-Roman architecture and Gothic architecture and that kind of stuff. The whole, In fact, the whole idea of sitting in pews and looking at some elevated person up in a pulpit raised up above the congregation, all of that has pagan origins to it. The early church in the first century and maybe for the first 400 years largely met in homes, looked each other in the eye. They weren't waiting for somebody to preach from an elevated position on the stage. And, and you really just sit there and look at the back of someone's head while you watch the one guy who can reach God, you know, uh, speak for God, more or less. And, and I realize that that goes beyond... If somebody goes to a, a more traditional church that's liturgical in nature, you're going to see a lot of um, paintings and architecture and stuff that, that helps to inspire the soul, and I get all that. But but we're the church. A building was never the church. And, it, and honestly, we, we make that mistake in Protestant circles, too. We might have very plain church buildings, but we say, I'm going to go to the church. I'm, I'm going to church this weekend. Um, I, I get it. I'm not trying to make too big a deal out of it, but the point is we ourselves have bought into a concept that, that removes the the ultimate reality of what Christianity is, that each one of us has direct access to God. It's a priesthood of believers that that we directly have the ability to commune with God and to worship him and to know him and to represent him. And that's the call of the church. And you and I, all of us who proclaim the name of Christ, are the church. So all of that, you know, anything less than that is pagan as well. And nobody points that out, and that's the hypocrisy of legalism, that that right. we focus on one thing or another. You know, it's like people would say you can't drink, dance, smoke, swear, or wear blue jeans to church, and then they'd go home and watch bad movies on television. Like, there's <laughs> always there's always some other aspect that gets pulled in. We were never called to a relationship of rules and regulations, uh, to, to a faith of rules and regulations. We were born into a, a true relationship with the living God. And by the way, it's through that through grace that we come to know God, but it's also through grace that we, we learn to deny ungodliness and fleshly desire and to live uh, godly lives in this present age. It's through the grace of God that that happens, not so through true. rules and regulations, and that's mm-hmm. Titus chapter 2. So anyway, that's i, I got to get off my soapbox because if I get wound up, I won't be able to stop. <laughs> well, hey, I'll, look, I'll tell you what. John, let me go to you. John Rush, of course. Uh, you know, John, I was raised in a religious cult, Worldwide Church of God. Right. And uh, we're very legalistic, and we couldn't celebrate Easter or Christmas or birthdays or any of that kind of stuff. And they were really big into the pagan origins of this. And I, what Neil was saying about the hypocrisy is so strong here that there's an inconsistency. If you think about it, half the things in our life and culture have mm-hmm. pagan origins to yes. them, okay? Clinking glasses at weddings, grave headstones, even r- wedding rings. That's not a biblical yes. thing. Yes. That's originated by the pagans. And for that matter... Cats. Let's not yeah. forget cats, guys. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, well, those Don't are like evil. Cats. We know that. That doesn't change. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
but uh, even things like the base 12 time of uh, division of time into hours, seconds, and minutes out yes. of ancient Babylon, a pagan method of, of telling time. Do we throw out our clocks? Do we, uh, do, do we get rid of grave headstones? Do we throw away our wedding rings? Do we stop throwing rice at weddings? I mean, where does the absurdity of the legalism end? And by the way, the Old Testament also says, do not invoke the names of pagan gods. Do not let them, their names be heard on your lips. Okay, so does that mean that we can no longer say the days of the week, the right. months of the year? Right. Because we're, uh, there, there really is a hyper-legalism that I think a lot of people have grabbed a hold of here, uh, John, when it comes to the pagan origins of a lot of these celebrations and traditions. Guess what? Most of the world is pagan and has been throughout history, which means most of the things that have been adopted into our everyday life were right. probably created by some right. kind of pagan culture. Right. Agreed. And I guess the way I would explain it to some of those individuals would be, would it not be better for us as Christians to take over some of those pagan quote-unquote holidays and turn them into a Christian holiday, which, by the way, is what we've done in a lot of cases. Isn't that what we would be or what we should be doing? And, and let's face it, guys, at the end of the day, this is about what are we or who are we worshiping? And Amen. I think when we look at Easter, at least for me personally, and I look at that, and I don't, I don't care where its origins came from. I don't care that it started out as a pagan holiday. or, or don't, I'm not even going to go research it, frankly, because it doesn't matter. It's not how I view Easter. Me, personally, I look at Easter as a celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that gave me grace so that I can live day to day, have a personal relationship with God the Father, and without that, I would not have anything at all today and probably wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, good Amen. point. Hey, uh, Neil, let me ask you about this as well, and I know we've got to go into one more break here, but uh, to the point that John was making, you know, if somebody came to me and said, here, I'd like you to dress up this tree as part of a Jeremiah 10 type celebration of a pagan god, I would say, mm, no, I'll pass. But if it's like, will you help me dress up this tree as part of a cultural celebration that's, uh, you know, part of Christmas? And I'm going to say, yeah, same thing with Easter, okay? If you ask me to color eggs as a means of celebrating some pagan deities, I'm going to say, well, no, I'm not going to participate in that. But isn't that the same thing as the Apostle Paul saying that he'll eat meat in an idol's temple if it's presented as a, as a giving thanks to God? But if it's offered as a sacrifice to idols, I will not eat it. But if it's offered uh, giving thanksgiving to God, then he will eat it. It's the very same steak chewing with the very same mouth but what the purpose of it is yep. determines whether it's wrong or not. And attitude I know we've got to take a break, the, but I just want to get yeah. your take on that. Attitude of the heart matters in a big way. Let's take a break, and we'll be back with more of the National Crawford Roundtable right after this. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth for Life on your local Crawford broadcasting station or listen online at truthforlife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truthful Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. My name is Neil Boron. I'm in Buffalo, New York. Roger Marsh is in Southern California. Uh, John Rush in Denver, Colorado. And Bob Duco back with us. He was vacationing last week. He's in Detroit, Michigan. Um, yeah, you're right, Bob. Attitude of the heart matters. I mean, there is a people that honors God with their lips, but their heart is far from him, it says. And, of course, I think all of us need to check our heart on that issue. You know, are we legitimately, authentically worshiping God when we're in church on a Sunday? Just because we're physically present in the building? I mean, we might be thinking about getting out to go watch our favorite NFL team and not really engaging in worship in those moments. God sees that stuff. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And... um yeah, you know, it's uh, is it Proverbs one eighteen twenty four Psalm one eighteen twenty four uh, that says this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Every single day that the sun comes up is a day that mm-hmm. God initiated. Mm-hmm. And to John's point, I think he was talking about this earlier. Uh, we're ministers of reconciliation. We know about the term redemption. Um, redeem the time because the days are evil. What does that mean? It means use the the things that have been placed before you for God's glory. 
And if, if, it, if the sun comes up on any particular day and we have breath in our lungs and we have the opportunity to point people to Jesus, we need to take that opportunity. And just because it's a day that somebody else celebrates a pagan holiday on doesn't mean we're supposed to call time out, say, hey, listen, I know you guys need Jesus, but I'm going to have to talk to you tomorrow because there's pagan origins to today. Um, I, I think that's ludicrous thinking, and I think God uh, would be absolutely pleased if we would take every opportunity to live for him no matter what else is going on in the world with pure hearts, obviously, you know, following following his plan and purpose for our lives. Yeah, Satan does not get the power to control and render uh, obsolete half the things in our life and culture around us. Right. Okay, we're not going to we're not going to use it for the purpose of worshiping some pagan god, but I'm not going to feel the need to mumble when I say the name Saturday. Hey, it's Saturday. Oh no, I invoked the the pagan god Saturn. Oh no, I you know, it's just <laughs> there is a legalistic <laughs> right. craziness to this that sometimes we don't uh, we don't really think about. But you know, I know we're kind of uh, winding down this this podcast here and if we could i'd like to just wrap it up with where we were talking about a little bit of the apologetic stuff in the middle because i happen to think and roger i'm going to throw this out to you real quick i I gotta tell you guys this this quick anecdote that uh was humorous to me and i just happened to think of it i thought well you know what we'll close it out by by sharing this when we were talking earlier about the resurrection of jesus and logic demands that we realize that he really did rise from the dead, not just God's word certainly telling us that. There are a lot of arguments that the skeptics will use to try to discount that. Well, the disciples stole the body and made up the resurrection. We talked about that before. Uh, they hallucinated. Yeah, that makes sense. Hallucinations don't eat and show up to multiple people and whatever. So there's still all kind of silliness with some of their arguments. But by far, one of the most ridiculous arguments I've ever heard is what used to be referred to as the swoon theory. But there's still some people that hold mm-hmm. on to this. I was watching a History Channel special, uh, Roger, and there was this historian on there that was arguing that Jesus didn't completely die on the cross, that they, they thought he was dead. And they took him down and they buried him in the tomb. But the, the, he came out of the tomb, but the, the disciples nursed him back to health. All right? And then he went on, married Mary Magdalene, had a bunch of children. So, of course, I invite that historian to come on my show and debate me. So him and I debated each other. And uh, I remember in, in this conversation with him, I asked him, I said, let me, I said, let me ask you an honest question now. If we took a healthy person today, a healthy 33-year-old man today, and we scourged him the way that Jesus was scourged and whipped him and beat him so that he was even unrecognizable and lost that much blood, then we nailed him to a cross, put him up on the cross, ran a spear through his side, and let's say somehow we missed the heart, uh, but to confirm death, blood and water comes out. And people that are skilled at execution recognize him as dead but the person's really comatose and we took him off the cross. If we did that today and then we put him in an ambulance and took him to Johns Hopkins Hospital and had the best team of worldwide surgeons working on him, can you tell me what are the odds that he would be discharged in three days? And I remember the guy going, uh, he kind of panicked a little bit and he said, well, you know, they did have aloe vera plants back then. (laughs) So I go, hold on a minute. I said, so your theory is, okay, that because they, today, you know, somebody wouldn't be discharged from a hospital in three days, but your argument is that they rubbed some aloe vera plants on him and by the way, came staggering out of a tomb. I don't know how he moved a 2,000 stone uh, rock in the first place, 2,000 pound, but then he comes staggering out, bleeding in need of medical care and his disciples rub aloe vera on him and then bow down and worship him as the risen Lord. Come on, you're a historian. Does that make sense? Roger, he got a little bit irritated and frustrated with me, but it really just just does go to show that when the skeptics try to discount the resurrection of Jesus, on the surface, their arguments might sound good, but under intellectual scrutiny, every one of these arguments are going to crumble. I was just chuckling to myself, Bob, as you were sharing that story, because I was thinking, okay, well, uh, having had the chance to meet Jim Caviezel and talk about the physical torture he went through, playing a part that was scripted and choreographed, except for, you know, one errant uh, whip, you know, that mm-hmm. went sideways, but right. everything that he went through physically to go uh, and play this role, and he wound up having heart surgery when it was all done. 
because of some of the things that he had sustained. The physical torture. I mean, let's let's put the sin part on this on on the sideline. The physical torture that Jesus went through. The idea that the disciples could come through and slap a little aloe on it and he'd be good to go the next day is just, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. But you know, as we think about what what's happening here, and, and you mentioned the apologetic side of it, um, a couple of years ago in preparing for a Good Friday message, I came across a commentary on Psalm 31, and it was answering a question that's bothered me. Uh, my logical brain says it doesn't make any sense. Why in the seven last words of Jesus, why does he say, it is finished, and then say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit? Because I would think, you know, it is finished means done. Game, set, match, it's over, and Jesus won. But if you look at what Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, it's Psalm 31.5, the first part of the verse. And that's a verse that the, any Jewish child would have learned when they were, it's basically their equivalent of now I lay me down to sleep. I mean, it's the first prayer they would have prayed in terms of, you know, how do you get over the fact that, you know, you've got object permanence issues, you know, if I go to bed, you know, am I going to wake up, you know, some of the concerns that kids have. But it's so beautiful because when you think about it, the redemption story starts with the reconciliation between God and Jesus in that moment, to John's point earlier, and the fact that he's literally doing kind of the faith plot literally kind of turning around and saying, I'm going to, I trust you. You know, we're separated. I became the sin of the world. And yet the reconciliation starts right now. I mean, even before the resurrection. And and here's the process. And that just gives me such hope and such encouragement that it makes me want to continue to live for the Lord, you know, each and every day. And pagan holidays or no pagan holidays, I mean, I think it's the the question of how do we live, not how does the world dictate how we should live. And uh, and I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing in the world right now, because even though there seems like there's mass confusion going along and people can't figure out genders and political parties and refugees and things like that, the truth of the gospel becomes clearer and clearer each and every day. And we're mm, blessed to be able to have the opportunity to share it with people in our you know, just in our everyday interactions and here on this podcast, too. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be with you guys today. Great final word. And uh, we are very blessed to be with all of you folks. We always appreciate you listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. You can also, of course, go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net, CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can listen to past episodes. And Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, John Rush, uh, great talking with you guys. As always, looking forward to next week. Likewise, you too, thanks, Bob. Likewise, Bob. Have a great week, guys. Happy Easter, everyone. Yeah, yeah you you as well. we'll see you. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Media Group production.